Welcome to the Parent University Podcast. Parent University is a monthly training seminar for parents of teenagers here at Perimeter Church. It is our desire to come alongside families by equipping them to lead their children in a biblical, God-honoring way. We hope you enjoy the following talk. Call of Duty. Why would we even want to talk about this? Uh, one thing is it's, uh, it's too big to ignore. It is a huge... Thing. I don't know how many of you have boys or how many of you are aware of this game and, and playing it. This is what's called a first-person shooter game. And the reason that it's called that is you can see you're in first person. You are seeing through the eyes of the person that's doing it. And that's the, these games have been around for a long time. The first one that I remember was GoldenEye, which was way back on the Nintendo 64. It was based on a 007 um, spy game. And then Halo is probably one of the most famous first-person shooter games. Doom was one of the early ones that came out in the 90s um, that made millions and millions of dollars. This game in the first five days, anybody have any clue how much money it made in the first five days? 775 million. Somebody's been on the internet. Yeah. Almost a billion dollars. 775 million. Now you can see, so they invest tons of money in these games because they make tons of money, and that's just the first five days. It'll, it'll, clear, it'll, it'll clear a billion dollars, I'm sure. Mm. Um, it is the first day, Xbox 360. Now, this is available on the Wii console, the Xbox, and the PlayStation 3. But just on the Xbox, it had 3.3 million players log in, more than 7 million multiplayer hours the first day it came out. So 3.3 million people played 7 million hours of this game in one day. Uh, so it is big-time entertainment, and it is new, and it is out there. It's been around for a while, this game. What, let's talk about first-person shooter games in general. Just what, what is the draw? What does that mean? Um, if I were to talk to some of you, if I, if I said dads in the room, raise hands who would think, that it's okay to play first-person shooter games. Um, it'd be interesting to see how many would be okay with that. If I said, now moms, raise your hands and see who thinks it's okay to play first-person shooter games, we probably would get a different result. Um, probably dads are a little more comfortable with this style of game than moms. Um, it's interesting if we look at, there's a quote by John Eldridge who wrote the book Wild at Heart, and, and uh, listen to this quote. He said, starts this chapter, Dad, are there any castles anymore? Luke and I were sitting at the breakfast table, and as soon as he asked the question, I knew what his young heart was wondering. Are there any great adventures anymore? Are there any great battles? I wanted to explain that indeed there are, but before I could reply, he got this gleam in his eye, and he asked, and are there any dragons? Oh, how deeply this is written into the masculine soul. The boy is a warrior. The boy is his name. A man needs a battle to fight. He needs a place for the warrior in him to come alive and be honed, trained, and seasoned. If Bly is right, and I believe that he is, that the early death of a man's warrior keeps the boy in him from growing up, then the opposite is true. If, if we can reawaken that fierce quality in a man, hook it up to a higher purpose, release the warrior within then the boy can grow up and become truly masculine. The warrior is not the only role a man must play, 
but the warrior is crucial in our movement towards any masculine integrity. It is hardwired into every man. Okay, um, see, I've got a picture of my son, Zane. <laughs> the warrior is hardwired into every man, okay? He's, this is my youngest son. And, you know, it is, whether you like first-person shooter games or not, it's interesting in light of, we had a discussion a few weeks ago about the man crisis, right? You've got this idea where we suppress manhood and masculine things, and it's just interesting how popular games like Call of Duty are that is an outlet for this very masculine, warrior-like quality that is happening. I just want to throw that out there. Again, I'm not, and this be, I'm going to be very careful here, I'm not asking you to play first-person shooter games. That is a decision between you and your spouse. I just want you to think deeply about these things, whether you allow them or not. I think you need to think deeply about the choices you make and why you do what you do. Um, one way of looking at first-person shooter games is it's a lot like virtual paintball. Okay, paintball, I don't know any of you guys have played it with your kids. It's very expensive. Gun costs about 200 bucks for a decent gun. Then if you're going to play, you've got to get your air canister filled up. You've got to get everybody there logistically. There's a lot you have to go through in order to make that happen. You can spend $60 on this game, and your son doesn't even have to leave the house. He can have his friends over and do a split screen, and it does build camaraderie, and it is a bonding thing that guys do. Um, so... Definitely, there is that. And I will say this, on multiplayer, the game is very, it's still a violent game. Obviously, you saw some footage of what was happening there. But the game, the blood and the gore is minimized in multiplayer for some reason. Or you don't even notice it because it moves so fast that you don't have time to react to it. Now, the single player game is very different. The single player game has a storyline that goes through. And it can be very dark. The early games of Call of Duty were World War II. In fact, if any of you guys ever seen Band of Brothers, um, the early World War II games of Call of Duty actually went through Band of Brothers. And you, you had a clear enemy that was not, you were against the Nazis, so it was good versus evil. It, there was not, the storyline was pretty much, you know, it was war, but it was, you didn't have to do things that were morally ambiguous. One thing you need to be careful of in video games any video game is allowing your kids to play games that are morally ambiguous. What I mean by that is they have, they're put in a position where they have to make moral choices that are, can be bad. For example, in Call of Duty, some of them, this is about the sixth installment of this game, in some of the games, you go undercover and you're on the terrorists undercover. Okay, well, then you may have to kill good people. You see what I'm saying? So that's not to blow your cover as a part of the game. Okay, so that's what I mean by it puts your kids in a position that where they're having to make choices that probably they would not have to make or shouldn't have to make as a teenager. Um, so you need to be aware of that. Those are games that I think are the most dangerous are the ones that kind of show more, uh, morally ambiguous things um, or, or put your kids in a position where they have to play the bad guy. Uh, even though Lego Batman, believe it or not, uh, I got this game... For, well, well, I'll come to that one next. Um, I got this game, Lego Batman, for my kids. Even in that game, which the Lego games are awesome in general, I like them, uh, you have to go through and be the Joker, and you have to be the bad guys. Even though this game is targeted as, as little kids, you can't just be Batman and Robin. Eventually, you have to play from the, from the bad side, too, and steal and things like that, which bothered me, even though it was a, a Lego game. So keep that in mind. Um, this game... 
Other bad things, multiplayer it has some problems. When your kids are on multiplayer online, a lot of them have headsets um, and they interact with people. And so they're interacting with people you don't know. Now, you can make sure your kids only play and interact with their friends when they're playing the game. I would recommend that. Uh, mostly what they hear online that's, that's negative. I don't think predators and stuff, again, if you play the game, it's very, it would be very difficult to, to get in a dangerous situation like that, I would think, because the game is just so intense, you wouldn't have time to have a real conversation. They're probably gonna hear a lot of profanity if they're playing with people they don't know. Um, there are things called modules or mods, which you need to be aware of. These are, if they're playing online, a mod is a game where someone has gone in and they've altered the program and they can create rules that the game maker themselves don't even have. Okay, for example, uh, I heard one instance of a student playing on a mod where he was playing and every time you killed somebody, a nude picture of a woman popped up. Okay, somebody's gone in, altered the now, I've only heard of that one instance from one student in about 10 years. So I don't want you to think, oh, my kids are looking at pornography when they're playing this game. <laughs> the chance of that is probably very remote. But I did want you to be aware that they do have, that it is possible, okay? Again, having a conversation with your kids if they play online, what do they play mods? Do they play with people they don't know? How, what is the language like? You know, these are conversations you need to have if you're allowing your kids to play these games in multiplayer. So that is possible. They're very addicting. Um, these kind of games can be very addicting, and you just need to be aware of that. Figure out a way. In fact, later on in Parent you we'll talk about how to moderate and teach your kids moderation in video games. That in itself can be a lesson time, so we'll spend some time doing that. Um, Louisville football team last weekend lost. This is a fascinating article. Um, they lost the game, and the coach said the reason they lost the game was because Modern Warfare 3 came out, and the team was playing the game so much that they couldn't focus on football, and he blamed the game for their loss. Now, that just shows you how addictive and how crazy, and what's even more interesting to me is do you know why he knew that they were not focused? He was monitoring their Twitter accounts. So he was monitoring the team's Twitter accounts and saw that all they were talking about the entire week was this game no matter what, which I think is fascinating in and of itself. Uh, the game was definitely developed for adults, so keep that in mind. That's why it's rated M. Now, again, I feel like, and I know lots of kids, when they get the game, they don't even do the, 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 the one first player storyline. They just go straight to multiplayer because it's way more fun and engaging. So again, I do think the dangers of the game are minimized in multiplayer in that sense. There's the gore and the storyline and all that. It's really more like paintball or you can look at it that way. So I do want you to be aware there is a comparison. You know, we talked about the moral, morally ambiguous, but there, in comparing it to another first-person shooter like Halo is helpful for us to think about. Halo is a game by Microsoft for Xbox, and it is uh, very futuristic. All the weapons are futuristic, and the enemies are futuristic. They're aliens, their blood is blue, they're kind of funny. And if you think about just the, in the design, in, a, in a general, the Halo is a more kid-friendly game because nothing is realistic. Everything they, des they designed is more make-believe, you know, blue blood, crazy aliens, things like that. Very non-realistic, whereas a game like Call of Duty, again, is, it's real people killing real people, so there, there is that factor. So just be aware as you're making those choices, you know, a, a younger kids, I would definitely lean more towards Halo if you want to allow this type of game. Um, but it is... Very popular. I don't know hardly any 
high school students at least that don't play, and most tons of junior high kids play this game. So you need to be aware, and I wanted to um, kind of give you some ideas about that. Um, next, just so we, if you have only girls, I wanted to make sure and hit a, a something else that might be interesting for you, um, is Glee. We're going to talk about that TV show. Um, this is an incredibly popular show among teenagers, especially girls, although guys watch it too. Um, it is a, uh, if you've never seen the show, it's about a glee club at a high school where, and it is incredibly well produced. It, the music is amazing, and if they, it's some of the most popular downloaded music on iTunes, follows the glee episode, so they're making millions of dollars just in downloads off of iTunes right after the episode of Glee. It's reviving bands like Journey are coming back and doing tours because their songs are being revived on this TV show. Um, I just watched the episode that aired last week, and I have to be honest, I was pretty disturbed <laughs> by it. I haven't watched the show in a couple of years. Uh, it's not a show that I, that I enjoy. Um, the music is amazing, and that's what's going to draw you to it, and that's what's going to draw your kids to it. But the storyline is... Very edgy and very dangerous, I would say. And there is a definite agenda, um, and we'll go over some of those things. Uh, the episode I watched, and again, I just watched the last week's episode, and it happened to be called The First Time. Now, what do you think The First Time was about? It's about the main characters of the show losing their virginity. Now, is that that unusual that that kind of storyline would be brought up in a show that's targeted towards teenagers? No, it's not. What would make, does anybody know what makes this one a little different? The homosexuals, yeah, it's, it follows two couples losing their virginity, and one couple is a homosexual boys in high school, and how they go on this journey to lose their virginity together, and then the main characters that have been dating for the last season also lose their virginity in the episode. So the gay agenda is definitely big, and, um, well, let's, uh, let's see. I want to just, we have a clip, so let's watch, we, i got a couple clips. Okay, this was at the very beginning of the episode. Um, just to give you context, they're doing West Side Story, okay, and they're the main characters. He, the guy, is the gay character, or one of the gay characters, and the girl is the main, the main character, uh, heterosexual girl character, I guess you would say. So that's the, that's the context of the clip. Um, what did you notice about the beginning of that? Did you understand the, the clip? Yeah. The, the authority figures mm -hmm. just got up and left. Okay, that was one of the most poignant things to me that's actually a little more subtle. First, they're talking. It's not subtle that they got up and left. It's subtle that a, would, would your student, if they're watching it, realize that they're being manipulated to think, again, that adults have nothing to say into a team world. Okay? They would realize that the parents, the adults got uncomfortable and left. But what's so offensive to me is the underlying message is the teenager's the expert, okay? Interestingly, if you watch the whole episode, that teenager, the coach, whether that's a girl or guy, I'm not even sure, uh, who got up to leave, the coach has a love interest, and that boy in the wheelchair actually gives her advice through the entire episode. So again, he's the authority through the entire episode um, on sexuality, okay? So... What else did you notice about the clip? So he's, he's kind of thrown out a gauntlet saying, you are not able to show the true passion of this scene because you haven't had sex yet. What else, what else did he imply? 
Yes. A strange aversion for fun. Uh, yes. He said it kind of under his breath. I had to watch it a couple times. He said, you two apparently seem to have a strange aversion to fun, implying that by them, their purity, the fact that they want to remain pure or haven't had sex yet, is an aversion to fun. Uh, so he's belittling their purity or even any motives they would have. And then he calls it, of course, the most basic and primal need or instinct that we have sex. So again, he's kind of totally putting this in a context that says this is right and normal and you're stupid for not, not doing this, basically. Okay? Um, well, he told me it was a prerequisite for uh, the need to understand the part. Right. Yeah, and what I'll give you some, well, I'll give you more context as we, as we go. Um, the, the gay agenda, let me, let me go into that a little bit. Um, this is a, a show that has two main gay characters on television. Uh, that is the, the one boy and then his, his boyfriend there. Regularly, you'll see them on all kinds of entertainment shows and things like that because, again, this is a, a very much an agenda that is pushed. I think it's more dangerous. Uh, the reason it's, it, it bothers me for a lot of reasons, but it, this show in particular is targeted for teens, and they definitely present the gay lifestyle as normative and that you would really be stupid not to, not to think it's normal based on watching this show. And, again, that's, that's something you just need to be aware of. Um, one thing we need to be aware of is even if you view homosexuality as wrong, which if your kids grow up in your household, that, that might be something they've been taught their whole lives, the entire media machine is so different. They're growing up in an environment that's very different for us. For example, I grew up, when we were growing up, okay, I'm 43 again, just to remind you, it seemed like uh, all of society kind of looked down on homosexuality. A real shift happened in the early 90s, really, when Tom Hanks did the movie Philadelphia, you kind of see a turn in media, okay? Um, and it has become where every show now has gay characters and it's all shown as normative, but, but a very much a change happened late 80s, early 90s. I mean, I can remember controversies, like the first edgy show that had gay characters was on HBO or MTV and things like that, and now it's just kind of the norm. Well, we grew up in a society that very much downplayed homosexuality, and this entire society, our kids are growing up where it's not downplayed in anything. So keep that in mind when, you're, when you interact with this material. Because if you see this on any show, which you might, on any, any sitcom or anything, there's going to be gay characters. How are you going to address that with your kids? It's being shown as normative, and do you engage them on this idea? Talk to them about the gay kids that might be at their school, okay? If your kids go to public high school, there are openly gay students at schools in this area at every high school that I've been around, okay? So it is... It is there, and they're dealing with it, and they have ideas about it. But have you engaged them on their ideas about it, other than that they should know what's going on? And again, it's more, one of the things I want you to point out is point out the manipulation. Don't just point out the, the moral issue. Because that's what they may, may be unaware of, that if you expose it, then they see it every time it's tried. Okay? Like my, I, I think I mentioned a few months ago, my daughter, when... when Parents are shown as idiots. My daughter spots it every time now because I always point it out, and now it drives her crazy, okay? So keep that in mind. All right, we got another clip, and the context of this clip that's coming up is the, um, the girl is going to her girlfriends for advice on whether or not she should sleep with her 
with her boyfriend. Um, I did not show you, I had several clips where I thought about showing you the two gay guys kissing or whatever, but I just didn't want that image going into worship next. So I did not put those in there. <laughs> yeah, I just, all right. What do you think about that clip? Okay, what did you notice about the way everything was done? Was there a balanced uh, approach? Did she hear some negative things or even some good advice? She did, right? They, uh, you could, the producers could say, well, we presented you know, people who had bad experiences. The one girl who said, I think you should wait. You give up something. You're, you, when, you're, when you're first watching the clip, you're thinking, yeah. And then these other girls are certainly presenting things that aren't, that aren't positive. But then look at the amount of time they spent on the negative and the amount of time on the pop, I mean, singing is going, you know, I think it was amazing. It was, oh, you know, and, and, and they're just going into the music and stuff. Angels are flapping their wings, you know. And, and so they clearly present that this girl, the words that she used was it, was, it was right, it was amazing, it was perfect, no regrets, if you slowed that clip down and wrote those things down. Now, I don't know. Most adults would say, would they go back and say the very first time they ever had a sexual experience, it was right, it was perfect, it was amazing, and there was no regrets? Um, probably <laughs> not. Okay, if we did an anonymous survey, whether you're Christian or non-Christian, <laughs> that would be a difficult thing <laughs> to say, okay? But if you watch Glee, and that's, your, that's where you're getting your information, it's right, it's perfect, it's amazing, no regrets, everybody should do this, right? Um, other things I didn't show you in the clip, again, because we could go into it more, there was so many different things of uh, the girl was the aggressor. I don't know if you noticed how aggressive the girls were talking like boys. They were definitely talking in a very coarse way about sexuality, very much the aggressors. The one cheerleader, you know, was, was using locker room slang that I've heard from guys but never heard from a girl, okay? The, gir the main girl, she has already been rebuffed by her boyfriend once because she tried to have sex for the wrong reason with him already earlier in the episode. And she was totally the aggressor. It was her idea. She was coming over. Um, she was pushing. She was driving the whole thing. Okay? Remember we talked about how guys, uh, the man crisis, and then the rise of the female aggressor is definitely alive and well in media. The one girl who tried to give her the good advice was pregnant in the first season by a student. She did have the baby, gave it up for adoption, so that was positive, to a teacher who is now contemplating having an affair with the high school boy that is the father of the baby. Again, nothing, you know, horrid or bad going on in this show. I think this show, you gotta be, <laughs> you gotta be careful uh, about this show in particular. It is probably, again, it's the most well-produced. The music's amazing. But the storyline and the things that are going on, I think, are evil. I mean, it's, it's very, very bad. Um, if you watch it, again, if you watch this whole episode, y'all, you would be, you'd be appalled. So uh, I want to bring Ashley White up um, as our, we're going to move away from the media and transition into our little spotlight of our <laughs> staff member. And then we're going to talk about communicating with your teen. Um, Ashley is... Basically, I'm a figurehead in the youth ministry. Ashley <laughs> runs the show. If you've ever called the youth office, um, she's the one that you talk to. She's our ministry associate, and she does an amazing, amazing job. So I wanted to let Ashley uh, share a little bit about who she is. Thanks, Jeff.
Hello. How are you guys this morning? So glad to have you guys here. And um, I will say that when Jeff told me that it was going to be my turn to come up and kind of talk a little bit about, my, about myself to you guys, I was a little nervous. Um, I enjoy speaking in front of people, but whenever it comes to parents, it kind of freaks me out a little bit. <laughs> um, but just for, this is basically so you guys can get an idea of who I am, um, why it might be important for you to know who that who I am. Um, like Jeff said, my official job title is ministry associate, and I kind of like to um, describe that as more like an office manager. I kind of um, work in both the senior high and the junior high, so I um, support both departments. So if you have questions or um, questions about retreats, gold rush, anything, you can come to me and I can either help you or make sure that the right person um, gets in contact with you. But just a little bit about my story. I grew up in a Christian home. Um, I've always said that I felt like I came out of the womb hearing about Jesus and knowing who he was. My parents, my grandfather started the church that my parents um, attended, and I just grew up in a very loving um, home where Jesus was always the focus. He was always the center. Um, And I kind of grew up with this idea that right is right and wrong is wrong. You know, life is very black and white. There's no gray area. And that is one thing that more than anything this job has challenged me in because my personality and with my job, I'm very like, no, this is what it is. This is not what it is. Um, And finding that gray point has always been very difficult for me. Um, Being in, in a Christian home where you're around Um, people who believe the same thing that you believe. Um, Going to a Christian school like I did, you know, I had a very um, distinct idea of, like I said, what black and white and right and wrong looked like. Um, Lived a a pretty righteous life in my eyes as far as being a good kid, doing the right thing. I had detention one time in my life, you know, just very looked at my way of kind of earning God's love for me as being out of doing what was right, what was expected of me. And it wasn't until I hit um, high school and I had uh, a mentor in my life who really kind of challenged that idea in me saying, you know, what what happens though when you do mess up? Does that mean God's not going to love you or he looks at you any less? And really started to kind of look at what my relationship with the Lord was really supposed to be about. Was it supposed to be about doing just what he told, what I thought he wanted me to do? Or was it about um, having a relationship with him? Um, being who I was and allowing myself to fail, but knowing that he was going to um, be there with me the whole way. Um, I went off to a liberal arts college down in uh, Georgia, or down in Milledgeville, Georgia College and State University. And I initially, um, when I got into college, I thought pretty clearly that I was going to be a teacher. And that's kind of the route I started to take. And it wasn't until... um, the end of my senior year that I realized I don't want to be a teacher. I do not want to be around high school students all day long in an authoritative role. I had kind of said, you know, if if I'm going to be around high school students, I want to do it in a, you know, a supportive role and not authoritative. Not saying that teachers aren't like that for those of you who are. Um, But that's kind of how I viewed it at the time, but really did not know what that meant as far as vocation. So I decided, you know, I'll just graduate with, you know, my history degree and just see what God has out there for me. And um, I went straight into corporate America, worked for an insurance company called The Hartford. 
um, and was really successful there, was climbing the ladder, not necessarily intentionally, but um, just kind of was being recognized and realized that I hated my job. I was kind of bound to um, my work, and it was a high-stressful, um, high, very critical position, and I could tell that I just was kind of losing myself in it and losing my focus of God and um, just really realizing that this that wasn't where I wanted, where I needed to be. I met Jeff a couple um, in 2008 and went on a missions trip with him um, with high school students because I'd, at that point I was like, I'd, I need to have an outlet where not only am I serving, um, but I'm able to do what I had always wanted to do, and that's you know support and love high school students. And um, after being on that trip, I had an opportunity um, to apply for a position at another church and asked Jeff if he would be on my resume. Um, and then that's when he kind of realized that, you know, I'd always had a desire to work with teens and God completely orchestrated it for me um, to apply for the job here at Perimeter. And I remember going through that process and a little bit about where I had been spiritually, high school and college had, was when I really started to understand um, that being a Christian and being a believer was about having a relationship with God. It wasn't just doing what, you know, was the right thing, although, as we all understand, you know, obedience and love for the Lord um, is part of that. But um, I just had kind of walked through this time really growing in, in my faith and, and my love for the Lord. And um, when I was looking at moving to Perimeter, I was so afraid. I was like, no way, I can't go there. I'm, I'm doing great at my job. I hate it, but I'm being successful, and I, I can see myself here long term. I, I love the people that I work with. And I remember the night before I was supposed to tell Jeff my answer, I got into bed, and I was like, all right, I'm saying no. I'm, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to come here. And I just got into bed, and I spent the last couple of minutes really thinking and, and praying and realized that the, the main reason I was going to say no to this opportunity was out of fear, fear that I wasn't going to be making as much money and fear that I wasn't going to be good at it, that I had always thought I wanted to do be around high school students, but maybe I really didn't. <laughs> just, you know, all these different things um, that were kind of going through my mind, I just realized why would I not want to do something that God could be calling me to um, out of fear? And I really kind of, that was the moment I really felt God sensing and telling me, this is where I want you. I want you to trust me, and I want you to come here knowing that it could be a disaster, but you're doing what I'm calling you to do. And I've been here for two and a half years. It has been a roller coaster. I will say that. Um, but I have loved 98% of it. <laughs> so that's just a little bit about me. Um, and as Jeff comes back up, if you guys have any questions afterwards, I would love to meet you. If you haven't met me or anything, I would, I would love to get to know you guys. So thank you. If you... If you need any information, thank you, thank you. always go to Ashley first. <laughs> she knows everything that's going on in both junior high and high school. And she's, again, very good at what she does. And again, if you're upset at the youth ministry, remember she took a pay cut to come here. When you're <laughs> okay? And be nice to her. You can yell at me, but be nice to her. She's awesome. Um, all right. As we uh, want to get into communicating with your team a little bit.
Now, I'm sure none of you have had this experience where your son or daughter has been away at a trip or camp for a week, and you pick them up anticipating a wonderful conversation in the car on the way home, and you say, how was it? Fine. Good. Bad. You want to tell me anything about it? No. I'm just tired. I want to go to sleep. Right? That never happens to any of you, I'm sure. Um, why is it so hard to talk to and communicate with your teenagers? Um, don't know all the answers to that. There, are, there is a theory that I have. Cammie and I have talked about this quite a bit. Um, one theory that I have is that when our kids are younger, they want to engage us and they talk about childish things. Um, if my daughter wants to talk about My Little Pony or a Barbie movie, my daughter Lexi is six and she has the incredible ability to tell me every detail about a DVD that she has just watched. And at first I'm nodding and I'm engaged and I'm like, okay, you know, and then, but if she's going to keep going on and on and on, I usually check out, okay? Uh, and I'm just telling you, I'm being honest, that's just who I am. I'm weak, sinful. And it's easy for me to check out because I'm an adult and I don't want to talk about childish things. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, okay? You are an adult and you're not interested in childish things. Well, what happens is, as our kids get older, they aren't stupid. And they realize when we check out. And they realize when they're talking about things that we're not interested in. And eventually they quit sharing because we don't want to talk about it. And then they start to change and grow and their lives get a lot more interesting and they are becoming adults and now suddenly we're, we want to engage and they aren't really interested in engaging with us. Because we've telling them with our nonverbal cues for years that we're not really interested in what they have to say. Okay, this is just a theory, but I think it's possible that it, that it holds water, uh, that it is uh, possible that that's the reason. So, what do we do now? If we're not careful, let me tell you a real danger that I sense in myself, and probably you're experiencing the same thing. We are managing our children. We are lecturing our children, but we are not engaged with our children. Okay, let me say that again. We are managing our children, and we are lecturing them, but we are not engaged with them. Let me give you a scenario that may be familiar to you. When I get up in the morning, I have four children. Three of them have to get ready for school, and we carpool with different people. So when I get up, I'm getting ready for work. I'm getting them ready for school. That is managing my household uh, along with my wife, right? We're pouring cereal. We're putting on socks. We're finding shoes. We're talking about homework, things like that. At night, you can have conversations about dinner, about chores, about homework, about sports and practices and schedules, right? And if you're not careful, every conversation that you have with your kids is like this. And you can say, well, are you with your kids regularly? Sure. Do you talk to them? Sure. What are you talking to them about? This is a danger, and I see it all the time. And I'm telling you, I experience it all the time, though. It's not just out there. You guys deal with this. I mean, I'm struggling with this myself. Okay, I think I mentioned the very first month that my 13-year-old daughter still likes to be tucked in, and I realized that sometimes that's the only connection we have where she knows I'm really listening to her and really seeing her. Because the rest of the time, all the other kids are around, and it's this chaos, and it's this thing going on. So 
how do we stay engaged? Because our younger kids, there are times we're engaged with them, right? And they're, you know, we're the apple of their eye and they just love spending time with us and then that, that shifts at some point, right? So how do we stay engaged? Let's talk about that at first. And, and now a lot of these things for re-engaging are the same. So uh, keep that in mind. The first thing, and this is not rocket science, and guys, all this stuff is not rocket science, but you probably haven't thought deeply about it in a while. Spend time with your kids, okay? Now that may seem like a no-brainer, but I'm telling you, if you're not intentional about it, if I'm not intentional about it, it's really easy not to spend time with your kids, okay? So we have to spend time together, and how do you do that? Listen. Spend time listening to your kids. Spend time talking to them with no agenda, that's the hard part because, again, it's easy for me every time I see my daughter to say, hey, did you do the dishes? Did you have your laundry done? What's going on with your homework? And I've got an agenda every time. But to spend time and not have an agenda and just listen and establish a rapport, talk about what's important to them, ask open-ended questions, let them know that you're interested in them and in their life. Now, this is actually modeled for us in the Bible, um, this principle. Jesus entered the world as a man and took an incarnational approach to connecting with us, right? He was the expression of God. He walked in our shoes. He became, he entered our world. And that's really what I want to get across to you is by you listening to them, by you drawing them out, you're entering their world, okay? You are saying, I want to know what's going on with you. When you do this, please do not diminish their experience, okay? Very easy to do because you have 40 years of wisdom that you've accumulated, and you know they don't have that. And so when your 13-year-old says, Mom, I'm in love, what is your temptation to do? You don't know what love is. Okay, now what does that do to communication? Don't bother me with your silly emotions. Okay, mom, I will not tell you next time I'm in love, and I know this is not a safe place to share, right? Are you tempted to say you don't know what love is? Yes, you are. Mom, I'm super stressed out. Dad, I'm super stressed. Do you know what I work? I've worked 50 hours a week. I'm doing this, I'm doing that. You don't know what stress is, real stress, okay? Let me tell you, your kids are under real stress. Very big-time stress. Stress that I never experienced in high school and what they're experiencing now and in junior high. Why do you think cutting and suicide and all these things are up so high? Your kids are incredibly stressed out, okay? These are very real. Now, you can only enter their world as much as they will allow. This is a normal thing. I have been talking to uh, a couple dads lately who are really struggling, and they feel like they're having a hard time connecting and that their kids aren't sharing everything. I was having a conversation with my wife the other day. Your kids aren't going to share everything with you. There's a continuum that we have, that we see, and this is a natural continuum that really, anytime you're in a relationship that is an authority structure, this is there. Think about your relationship with your boss, Okay. The more authority they have over you, the less intimate you are. You don't share everything with your boss, right? There's coworkers where you might whisper and talk and tell inside jokes that you would never tell your boss. Okay? Why is that? Because you have a more intimate relationship with a coworker and your boss has this authority over you. All right? 
Well, as a parent, you're the ultimate authority in your child's life. You will always be that, okay? So there are things that they're never going to share with you because, and, and let me tell you, probably you don't want to know everything you're thinking or doing all the time either, okay? To some degree, it's scary for us. Uh, but just know that is normal, and there's a tension that's there that you're going to have to deal with. Now, as your kids are becoming adults, though, as they're getting closer and closer to adulthood, one of the things you have to do and I have to do is we have to move down that scale from authority towards intimacy with them. And that relationship needs to change over. Think about you, with your parents. It has to change over from you are not directing them as much. You're more coaching and supporting. Well, honey, what do you think you should do in this situation? Rather than telling them what they should do, you're advising them. You're becoming their advisor. You're becoming a friend because you have to develop an adult relationship with them. If you try to stay in this authority position where it's my way or the highway all the way and I will be respected and, uh, you know, and tell them everything to do, when they're, they're trying to become people, okay? They have to start developing these decisions on their own. Man, you're going to have struggles in the later years, okay? It's going to be tough. You've got to slide down that scale, okay, towards intimacy. Now, we all have seen parents that are like this, or you need to think about where you are on the scale. If you're too high on the intimacy scale, you can be buddy-buddy. We've all seen a parent who wants to just be their, their child's best friend, and they lose all authority, okay? You don't want to do that either. If you're too much on the authority side, we've already talked about that, right? You're never going to know what's going on in their heart if you're too much on the authority side. Now, just as a little caveat, this is one reason why I think discipleship or having a mentor for your child who is not you is a very important thing. Because you're the main authority figure in your child's life and there are things that they're never going to let you in on, you want some Christian adult who loves your kid speaking in to their life because they might just share that with them and they won't share it with you. And we as parents and adults can feel threatened by that, okay? And again, I'm not saying, I, I, obviously I represent the youth ministry and I believe in it or I wouldn't have been doing it for 20 years. If you don't trust a youth ministry like the youth ministry, find another adult that can come alongside your child as a mentor and do this, okay? But someone needs to be seeing their heart and getting into the deep levels that they may not share with you. And again, it's a natural thing because you are the ultimate authority in their life. They need someone who's going to do that. You are always the primary discipler of your kids. Remember the Deuteronomy passage. You are their primary discipler when you rise up and when you lay down, when you walk along the road, when you sit at home. You have all of the time of their life to be pouring and investing in them. That doesn't mean they're going to share everything with you, and you will not be able to speak into these issues. So you need to have someone to come alongside you to do that. All right, now how do we do this? Again, um, we'll go quickly through some of these. Look, Ephesians 5, 15 says this, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Okay, I think making the best use of time because the days are evil. This is the problem, and we, we mentioned it the first parent you. We don't live in an agrarian society anymore. You don't get your kids up before dawn and go out and they work in the field and they're with you all day long or they're not at home with the moms making butter and weaving cloth and things like that, right? I watched Little House on the Prairie. I know what that was like, okay? And they were with their kids all the time. We don't live in that society. So you're gonna have to make the most use of time because you're busy and your kids are stinking busy, right? 
And because of that, you have to be uber intentional about this time. Here are some ideas, okay? Running down through here. Dates. Have dates with your kids. Both of you, husband and wife, have dates with your kids at different times. Um, I do this, uh, last year I did a, a better job. I did every other week with each of my two older kids. So, and they would ask, I mean, they, they know, if you, if you make this a priority, they're Johnny on the spot. Dad, it's my week. Dad, are we going on a date? Because they get focused dad time or focused mom time, and it's important to them. And they will remind you of it, and they will make sure that you're aware of it. Now, when you're having time together, do something that forces you to engage in conversation, okay? For example, I like to watch TV with my kids, and we enjoy that. There's shows that they watch with their mom, shows they watch with me. But you know what? That is very low-quality engagement time. TV shows, you're not engaged. You're just kind of staring at the screen. And unless you're going to talk about it or debrief it afterwards uh, or beforehand, things like that, you're not engaged. So that doesn't count as good-quality date time. Movies don't count. You know, with the youth staff, if they go to a movie with a student, I require them to go to Starbucks or Waffle House before or after the movie because it doesn't count to me that it's time with kids if they're just watching a movie. Because you just show up, watch the movie, you leave, there's no engagement. You have to spend time talking about it. So if you're going to do that, take them to a movie, but make sure you go talk about the movie afterwards. Use the skills we're developing when we talk about glee and things like that, how to dissect what's really going on. Make sure they're seeing these things. Engage with them on what you're seeing and go through that, okay? Um, sports, play doubles tennis or engage in some kind of sports with your kids. Now, you have to be careful about this. Dads, I think we're notorious for becoming the coach of our kids' team, and we say, are we spending time with my kids? Sure, I'm the coach. Okay, well, that doesn't necessarily count. Me spending time with like 10, 10-year-olds 10 is not quality time with my 10-year-old, even though he's on the team. Now, if you, after practice, take your son and go to Taco Bell and spend time talking about practice. Hey, how did you feel when that other player yelled at you? Or how did you feel? You know, you're drawing them out. You're listening. You're engaging them. That is more a high-quality, engaging time that we do this. Um, spend time in the car. Make the best use of car time. We spend an incredible amount of car time with our kids before they drive picking them up, taking them to practice, taking them all these different places. Now, if you're not careful, what will happen is you end up looking like some of the people in this slide, okay? They're, they're, they're totally not engaged. You can be in the car on the phone. Your son can be in the back on a, PlayStation, on a Game Boy. You can have the DVD player in your car down, you know, uh, like, we have a rule in our house that we never have the DVD player going if we're in town because I want, I want to talk to my kids and engage them. I don't, they, we never watch movies unless we're on a trip, okay? Because I don't want them in the habit of watching TV in the car, even though we have the capability to do that, all right? And, guys, we have to say no to ourselves in this situation. Um, Luke 9 says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, Okay, I have a hard time with this. Sometimes I'm tired. I don't want to engage. I get in the car. I want to listen to talk radio or sports radio or music or something, right? I, I don't want to talk. But that's when I have to say no to myself, and I have to say yes to them. And I have to say no to them, too. No, you can't listen. Get your headphones out. Let's talk through this, okay? Um, weekend retreats, these are awesome uh, that you spend some time 
uh, if you can, I, I know one dad who has these milestones with his kids when they hit certain ages, they go on these trips. And I mean, if you have the means and resources to do that, fantastic. I mean, he takes each child on a trip. They get to choose what they want to do and things like that. That's wonderful. But a weekend away with your kid, just you and them, is awesome. Some of you have an advantage in this case, like if you're a hunter, for example, and you take your kids on hunting trips or something. You know, I'm, my, I was not that way. My dad was into cars. And, so we didn't go out and bag an old Chevy. You know, it wasn't like that. But um, you, if you have that, that's just a, a thing to engage. Figure out what those are, what you and your kids like to do together, and spend those weekends away. Those are fantastic. Serving and working together can be another thing. Uh, community outreach has tons of things you can do together as a family to go serve, serving the homeless, going on a mission trip together. These are all types of things that you can do together that force an engagement uh, time. Now, what you have to be careful of here is are you task-oriented or are you people-oriented? Because I discovered this, and Cammie and I had a great conversation. I was wanting to clean out the garage. And I'm actually people-oriented, but I was on task. You know, I'm going to get the garage clean. And I had my kids around me. And so I had all these projects around the house to do, but cleaning the garage was one of them. And I remember after the weekend, I was yelling at my kids. I was fighting with them. I was trying to keep them focused. And like at the end of the weekend, I thought, well, this is great. I was off for two days. We did all this stuff around the house. I was with my kids, but they don't want to be with me. Not after this weekend. I mean, I was awful. I was yelling at them constantly. You know, I was like afraid. I was, uh, you know. And she said, the problem is you did not make the kids your task. The garage was my task. And if you're task-oriented especially, you're going to run over your kids to get your task done. But if you make your kids your task, if spending time with my kids was number one and getting the garage clean was number two, then suddenly I'm spending quality time while I'm getting a task done. Then I don't care about the pace. It's not like, okay, this took us nine hours instead of two. Okay? You, you, you understand what I'm saying? So keep that in mind if you're, if you're task-oriented um, because you will run over people. Use technology. Um, have you ever thought about your spouse in the middle of the day and just sent them a text saying, hey, I'm thinking of you? First off, that's a good idea. We're not talking about relationships. But uh, do that with your kids. Have you ever just sent your kid a text to say, hey, I just want you to know I'm having my quiet time, and uh, you came to mind, and I just spent some time praying for you. Now, of course, you have to have your quiet time and do that. Don't lie to your kids. Have a quiet time. Pray for them. And tell them that you're praying for them. Tell them that you're thinking of them. Uh, send them, use technology in that way. Now, Facebook, you have to be a little more careful than that, okay? Uh, we're actually going to post this article on our website about rules for parents using Facebook. Now, this is an article that's not written by a Christian, but I, I thought it was helpful because there's so many ways you can embarrass and mortify your kids on Facebook if you're not careful. You know, baby pictures of your, of your kid. Here's you, you know, with that hairdo that was like, you know, don't do that. So the, it gives you advice like that that's just practical, uh, but it'll be interesting for you to read that and um, and think about that. So now, some of you, I did talk about all of this from the perspective of staying engaged with your kids. Okay, that's so much easier to do. Many of you might be in a position where you've already lost that with your kids. You have a hard time communicating, okay? I don't have an easy answer for that. I, know, I think I know where to start with that, and that is... These same things, dates, weekend retreats, you know, all of these things still apply and making them a priority. But you've got to start by leading with, I'm sorry, I have been selfish or I've ignored you or I've lectured you or I've done these things and really you're a person and I love you and I am interested in your life and I want to be a part of your life. 
and let's start over. I would start there. Start with humbling yourself. And again, be careful. Don't start with, I'm sorry, but if you put the button there, you're not going to get anywhere. They're just going to go, okay, this is just another way that you want to start lecturing me about what I did wrong. You've got to start developing a rapport where you can just be together and just uh, spend time talking and loving them and showing them they're important. Okay, so that's, again, there's no easy answer, but that is at least where to start, I think, in the humbling yourself. Uh, I know this is difficult. Um, it is easier, from my perspective, as a youth person, very much easier. We don't have all the baggage of the last 15 years of your life that you have with your kids. So when I, for a youth worker to engage your kid on so many levels is easier because we're not coming at them at that high authority position, see? So we have the ability to go in and talk to them just as a person. And so a lot of times it's easier for us. Um, with my own kids, I got all the baggage and everything just like you do, so I understand that. Uh, let me say a word of prayer, and, um, and we'll end today. Heavenly Father, thank you again for the privilege of having children. Um, and Lord, this time as they move into the teenage years is challenging, but help us to be engaged. Lord, that we would um, engage in media consumption, that we would engage in conversation, that we would listen and really get to the heart of our kids, that we would develop that relationship with our kids uh, as more of a coach, as more of a support, and develop healthy relationships with them as they move into adulthood. Lord, we pray for our children in this. Uh, the times are evil, and we want to make the best use of that time that we have with them. Help us to be intentional about that time, to think deeply, to have these conversations um, with our kids, but with our, with our spouses as well. Um, and God, I just ask you to, to, again, see them to become mature and equipped followers of Christ, Lord, who fall madly in love with you and who have a life-changing encounter with you and develop those habits, um, the spiritual disciplines, and, and really understand what it means to be a Christian adult. Uh, we praise you. We love you. We thank you. Thank you for the camaraderie of, of parents who are dealing with the same kinds of things. Help us to lean on one another and bear one another's burdens in this as well. And continue to make the youth ministry more effective as we try to come alongside parents in this endeavor. All this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for coming. You've been listening to the Parent University Podcast. Parent U is a part of the student ministries at Perimeter Church in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit the student ministries website at www.perimeter.org students for more information. Thank you.